The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Monday, April 24th, 2023. Jacob Goins with you here on ESPN 106.7. That's right, just me today, solo in the studio uh, for the first time in what has been a long time. About this time last year uh, is when it was just me in the studio. No Carter Bird today. He's up in Birmingham uh, handling a few things. And also, uh, our intern, Jenny, she is not here today either. So uh, I must have missed the memo that nobody else was coming in to work today. But here we are soloing in the show. I'm just giving them a hard time. Soloing here today for the next two hours. This is the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. It's good to be in the studio. Uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks with uh, Lee Scott Baseball, as that is getting into postseason play. We've got postseason baseball coming up this week. I'll give you uh, sort of what my schedule is going to look like coming up here in a few minutes, what this week will look like with that. Uh, But just been really crazy around here uh, at Auburn Networks with high school sports getting into postseason play. You've got tons of news going on with spring football and basketball for Auburn. Uh, We talked a lot about that on Friday as we had some breaking news during the show on Friday for Auburn basketball. And so, Uh, We enjoyed talking about that. I talked about that with Carter during our show and then filled in for uh, Bill Cameron on the drive, sat in with Dan Peck on Friday, and so that was enjoyable. Folks, let me tell you what I got to do yesterday. This was one of the best experiences I have had uh, in my entire life. I I mean, this was this this was an incredible event. It really, really was. Uh, I had the opportunity yesterday to go and do a remote broadcast at the Talladega Super Speedway, okay? I got to go with our sister company, Radio Alabama, on Kicks 100.3, a station in Sylacauga. Uh, got to go with uh, David McCurley uh, and be on the air, and we set up and we did a remote pregame show talking about the Geico 500 yesterday, and Now, look, am I the biggest NASCAR fan in the world? No, but I think it's really, really cool. And I've never been to a NASCAR race. I've never been to Talladega. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. That was an unbelievable experience that I got to be a part of yesterday. And we had uh, just so much fun giving stuff away yesterday, T-shirts and cups and koozies and all types of good stuff. Uh, Claire Hodges, our our promotions director, set everything up for us. And so uh, we had a fantastic afternoon. We did a pre-race show in the morning, and then our credentials, uh, I hung out with our credential and, and got to go in the infield grass, right? I got to sit 
on the track, the actual track now, I sat on the track at Talladega and watched all the drivers get introduced and and go out to their cars, and then I watched it from the infield, uh, watching some of the pit crews do their thing and and watch the race get started. Uh, Some jets flew over. Those were cool. I thought that was loud until the car started, and that was an unbelievable experience. And then watching them go around the first full time, and when they came around, just the noise that you could hear and you could feel it in your chest. I I heard somebody say you could feel it in your ribs, and that's exactly right. It was an incredible experience. Uh, What a fun time it was to be at the Geico 500 at Talladega yesterday. My first time doing anything like that, and uh, that was just a lot of fun. So that's what I did yesterday. I've been up. Uh, it was a long day. I got up at 5 a.m., didn't get back till almost 5 p.m. No, I did not stay for the entire race because I was informed that trying to get out of there after the race would be a disaster, and I got word that it was. I had some buddies that were there, and they said it was a disaster. And so I did not stay the entire time, but what a fun experience that was yesterday to be at the Geico 500 at Talladega. So that was a really, really good time. And so that's what I did. Hope you all had a good weekend. Uh, And we got a very, very busy week, busy show here today as I'm soloing in the studio today. Again, no Carter Bird, just me, Jacob Goins, for the next two hours. Got some Braves audio I want to play for you. It's our good friends Ben Taylor and Lynn. Lindsey Crosby on the Braves Today podcast. They recap what was a uh, a struggle for the Atlanta Braves over the weekend and how they uh, got swept by the Astros at home. And so uh, we'll play that audio for you. Those guys do a fantastic job breaking that down. Our question of the day, it's a really important one. It's really fun as well. And I think it's really, really interesting to talk about what this topic is going to be. It revolves around five players that were suspended in the NFL last week. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little little bit then at 2 30 we'll talk about some of the major college football rules changes the one that is actually happening and the one that the sec is thinking about implementing when it comes to rushing the field we'll talk about that coming up at 2 30 then an hour number two we'll talk some of that auburn basketball news from last week get you caught back up in case you missed any of that and then at 3 30 jacob hillman of the auburn sports network will join us to recap what was a fantastic weekend on the diamond for both auburn baseball and auburn softball so that's what's coming up phone lines are open today i'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 that number again 334 334- 321-1390. You can also tweet at us at ESPN1067 on Twitter. Our question of the day is up there right now. Would love to see your thoughts on Twitter, and we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. But as I mentioned, got some audio from, again, Ben Taylor, host of Auburn Opelika this morning on News Talk 98.7 on News Talk WANI, and then friend of the program, Lindsey Crosby, host of the uh, Locked on MLB Prospects contributor for Braves today for Auburn Daily uh, does a fantastic job and so here are those two guys breaking down what was again a tough series for uh, the Atlanta Braves over the weekend getting swept by the Houston Astros welcome in Braves today podcast he's Lindsey Crosby I'm Ben Taylor bravestoday.com is where you find us Braves underscore today if you're looking on the Twitterverse you can find us there as well Ronald Acuna Jr is still the best player in baseball and batting 375 and the rest of the team just absolutely blew it with a sweep this weekend and they either need to pick it up Lindsay or management needs to figure out a way to shovel some things around and I mean pitching 
I mean hitting, I mean lineups, I mean in the field, just about everything you could imagine. They need to – we've talked about build a team around Ronald Acuna. Okay, like now it's obvious he is the best player in baseball, and that's exactly what the Braves need to do. And you'd mentioned it, one of those players that starts with Olsen down at first base. Yeah, so – Ronald Acuna Jr. goes 5 of 12 over the weekend. Three of those five are doubles. The games that he doesn't hit a double, he steals second or third. He stole four bases over the weekend. Yep. Um, like he, he opened up all three games by getting on base. A double on Friday, a single on Saturday, a walk on Sunday. But the issue that I have is Matt Ol- Like We know that Matt Olson strikes out, right? 37 strikeouts through 22 games. Matt Olson is on pace to strike out 273 times. The leader in 2022 for strikeouts was Kyle Schwarber of the Phillies. He was the only player that broke 200. He had exactly 200 strikeouts. And and the thing is with Olson though, he's hitting 265, but he's scheduled to have more strikeouts than some guys will have played appearances this year including our platoon left field. They may not have 275 plate appearances. It's like, it's, it feels like it's a pedantic complaint to say he's striking out too much because he's batting. So like the batting average is so good. But when Ronald Acuna Jr. Is getting on base so often in front of you, you have to put the ball into play. And it feels like, and you brought this up before we, we turn the mics on. Mm-hmm. It feels like, when Ronald Acuna Jr. is on first base, it's a normal at-bat for Matt Olson. It is. But so often, three of those hits, three of those five hits were doubles. He stole four bases. He's so rarely on first base. He's on second or third. And so Matt Olson's not getting hittable pitches, and he's still trying to hit a home run with it, and he strikes out. You've got to put those balls into play because Ronald Acuna Jr. can score on just about anything. We mm. saw him go second to third on a fly ball to kind of shallow right field. <laughs> I mean, he can he can he can run on just about anything. You have yeah. to put the ball into play and a strikeout is the exact opposite of that. And like that's part of the reason Ronald Acuña Jr. gets on multiple times on Sunday and you get a total of 3 hits and uh, what one run and yep. it's be, it's because guys like Matt Olson are swinging for a home run every time and not putting the ball into play. He is not going to – he needs to realize, and it took Freddie Freeman a long time to realize this, and Chipper Jones is one of those that got it right off the bat from when mm-hmm. he was young. And now we're talking about a different care. I mean, that's a Hall of Fame third baseman. But still, when people bat in front of you, if they're going to be able to get to second via steal, hit doubles, you need to realize at that point in time, it's no longer you're at bat. It's the teams at bat. And the mm-hmm. team needs you more than your individual statistics need you because you're not going to see anything to hit. And guess what? Take the walk. If they want to throw around you and put you on first, then let them throw around you and put you on first. That's the rest of the team's job to pick you up after that. He keeps trying to swing. I, I told you when when Ronald, when he's getting doubles, you can forget it. He's not going to see anything middle in. Olsen isn't. Now, he has a couple of times, but it's been mistakes. That's one reason he's been able to pull it out of the ballpark. Other than that, they know he can't go the other way. They're staying away from the inside pitch. And he is still trying to yank the ball over the right center field fence, even from a ball that's low and away and almost in the darn dirt in the right-hander's batter's box. So uh, Olsen's just got to do a better job of, I told you, I said, as old saying, you know, take what the pitcher gives you. Mm -hmm. Well, if he's just darn set on 
putting the bat on the ball, then take what the pitcher gives you. Because as you just said, a lazy fly ball to right can still move Ronald to third. A blooper scores him. Even if you dribble it out there, even if it's something that dribbles through a hole and it just gets into the outfield, Ronald's scoring on that. Yeah. Uh, even if it's not hard hit. So, and if it's even to the right side, cause he's such a pull hitter, if he's going to go to the right side to second or first, that's still, that's doesn't go down as a sacrifice, but that moves Ronald to third, or if he's on third, that actually a slow ground ball to the right side scores Ronald. So take the RBI, take the out and take the RBI and move <laughs> on. And uh, I, I get it. 265. I told you, I love for Olsen to be somewhere between 260 and 285 hitting. I completely never thought that we would have to throw in 300 strikeouts to go along with that. I didn't know that was part of the bargaining chip for, for all that. Uh, I kind of want to re-edge my bets, if at all possible. If he's going to have 300 strikeouts or darn near close to it, then I want him 285 to 300. I don't yeah. want him 265 to 285. Yeah, he's just he's just got to put the ball in play more. And it it's not the reason, but there's a small part of me that can't help but think, you know, they're only four and six at home. Right. And they're 10 and two on the road. And Truist Park is known for having that little bit of shorter porch and right field. And it's like, how much of it is, you know, guys trying to swing for that instead of just putting the ball in play because you've mm -hmm. got guys on. And I know quality competition is different from home in a way because you've had the Padres at home and the Astros at home. And a lot of your weak opponents like the Royals and Nationals have been on the road. But I just can't help but think there's probably some sort of correlation in there. Oh, I completely agree. And, and it's going to get their eyes are going to get even greener. And we'll talk about the Marlins in a little bit, but the Marlins are absolutely future again this year. So uh, I, I got a feeling that we're not going to see anything change out of Olsen over the week or over the first part of the week, because he's still going to try to tee off on, on guys. Speaking mm -hmm. of pitching, uh, Freed lowers that ERA to 0.60, which is unbelievable, uh, has not given up a run since he's uh, come back from his IL stint. And our bullpen can't do anything to help him. Let me tell you the impressive part about that uh, that Max Freed stat. And it, this is in the the takeaways from Sunday's game. But Max Freed didn't actually have that great of stuff on Sunday. Three hits, no runs, walks three, which is un, unusual for that him. Is, yes, that's saying, yeah, that's different for him. Strikes out five and six and two-thirds. But he only got nine swings and misses on 107 pitches. Mm. And like it, it was one of those games where Everything obviously wasn't working. He didn't get a single swing and miss on the on the sinker. Uh, and then, like, the goal is about 30% called strikes plus swings and misses. Mm. And he came out at, I, I think he came out at 18% on the game. But three hits, no runs, because he is that good of a pitcher, where even when a day he doesn't have his best stuff, he leaves you in a position to get a win. And in this case, uh, you... You have two pitchers, Nick Anderson and AJ Mentor, out of the bullpen that combined for five hits, five runs, and two walks. Mm. AJ Mentor had an awful series. He took two losses uh, on Friday and on Sunday, uh, charged with three runs in the ninth on Sunday's game. That is seven earned runs in just four innings with two losses and two blown saves in one series for Mentor. And I've got to take, I heard his comments afterwards. I know he said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I felt like I made good pitches. Bub, you've you've taken two losses in three games. Uh, that is that is not a good statistic. So uh, I'm not sure what you think you're doing right, but you need to go watch some tape. You need to sit down with some pitching coaches because what you're doing that you think is right is not right at this point. And I think something that we see, we see a lot of this 
sometimes from Brian Snitker. Uh, AJ Minter's thrown in 11 games this year already. Uh, it, 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 I mean, you've played what 21, 22 games. Mm-hmm. He's pitched in half of your games. And we see sometimes where this coaching staff tends to kind of ride their guys and they're a little too rigid with some of these roles. Mm-hmm. And it's every game where Atlanta has a lead late, they are going to mentor in the ninth. And it doesn't matter if he threw twice in the last three days or if he threw, if he's doing a back to back or anything like that. And I'm starting to wonder, do you need to be mindful of the workload on this bullpen so early in the season? You lost Colin McHugh. You lost Lucas Letge. Mm -hmm. You still don't have Rizal Iglesias back. And so you've been working shorthanded out of the pen. And Mentor is the main one who's been taking on that extra load. And at this point, it feels like you kind of need to try to wait, find a way to work in some other guys. Dylan Lee has 11 appearances. Mm -hmm. Jesse Chavez has 11 appearances. Like you, you've got to find a way to work in some of these other guys, whether it's a Michael Tonkin, whether it's a Joe Jimenez, uh, Danny Young, you've got to find a way to get some of these guys to take on some more of this load. So you're not relying so heavily on mentor and Lee and Chavez. Yeah. Cause if you're big on graphs, if you look at mentor, he is definitely trending down. You and I mm-hmm. were talking about it dating back to the Cincinnati series, even though Atlanta looked good and walked away with a sweep in that, that they still, Mentor had, uh, he ended up getting a win after giving up a run. And then he had another blown save that, you know, it was no decision. So uh, well, for him, it was no decision. So uh, it's, he is, as you said, maybe he's being used too much. Maybe that's why he thinks he has good stuff, but the arm is just not there. Like what, yeah. what he thinks is working is not working. I mean, he, but seven earned runs in just four innings, he only gave up nine earned runs all of last year. So he's, not going to be able to better that, I don't think. There's, there's just too much baseball left and too much for him to, to throw unless he just absolutely turns around or he gets some help. Uh, you know, I, it's easy for me to point the finger at Mentor, but you make a good point where over the last, let's just call it four or five series, you know, when you and I look at the stat, Mentor's name is out there as throwing in some form or fashion. He's he's out there. Every other day, just about. And so yeah. it seems like you're right after Cincinnati after Friday night with Houston, after Sunday afternoon with Houston, he doesn't need to pick up a baseball during the Marlins series, if at all possible. Hopefully the Braves put up on enough runs where he doesn't have to even show its face. And I'm I'm not saying that meaning we don't want to see him. I'm meaning that saying he needs to rest his arm. Yeah. And the hard part of this is that was game three of a 13 game stretch without a day off. Mm. And so you used him twice in the first three games of the series You've got to get, I, I know they were all close games and I, 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 I'm going to do this and I apologize in advance. I want to tell you the difference in this series was the, was the bullpens. Yep. So here is the stats for the Astros bullpen in this series, nine and a third hittings, zero hits, zero runs, three walks to 11 strikeouts, three saves. Here's the stats for the Braves bullpen in the same series, nine and a third innings. So exactly the same, 16 hits, 12 runs, 11 of those are earned, wow. three walks to 13 strikeouts and two blown saves. 
Not a uh, not a great stat there for the Braves bullpen over the weekend as uh, they struggle to uh, really to do anything and close games out down the stretch against the Astros. You get swept at home, uh, and the Braves really just trying to get back on track here in the midweek. That was audio from the Braves Today podcast. Uh, ben Taylor, host of Auburn Obelika this morning on News Talk WANI. That's 98.7, one of our sister stations here on ESPN 106.7. And Lindsey Crosby, host of the Locked on ML. Be prospects contributor for Auburn Daily and Braves today. Those guys are generous enough to uh, let us use their audio talking about the Braves from over the weekend. Uh, and later on, they do end up previewing uh, what the week ahead looks like for the Braves. But some bullpen struggles for the Bravos make it tough for them to get a win against the Houston Astros. We'll be right back. We'll have question of the day here on the Monday edition of On the Line. Would love to hear from you. And here it is before we get to break. Should athletes be able to bet? on sports this revolves around the five nfl players that were suspended last week for gambling on sports we'll talk about that when we come back give me a call i'd love for you to be a part of it 334-321-1390 the monday edition of on the line rolls on when we come back you are on the line on espn 1067 online at espnau.com or on the espn 1067 app Welcome back inside the studio here at ESPN 106.7. Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. This is the Monday edition of On the Line. Last week, the NFL suspended five players who were caught gambling uh, on sports. And look, the NFL and other leagues, uh, other professional leagues around the country have made it very obvious that they are not going to put up with gambling. Right, They're not going to let their athletes bet on sports. And five players uh, were suspended last week. It is Stanley, uh, Stanley Berryhill III, Jamison Williams, Quintess Cephas, C.J. Moore, and Shaka Tony. Uh, the big name there, Jamison Williams, uh, who was the uh, 12th overall pick in the NFL draft last year. Uh, so those five players, four of them being from the Detroit Lions, but those five players were suspended. A couple of them were actually uh, suspended indefinitely and are not able to basically aren't able to um, be reinstated to the NFL until like 2024 and so it's pretty crazy how a couple of them were not just suspended but they were basically removed from the NFL indefinitely until next season and that brings up the question of the day we got a few minutes here in this segment we'll talk about it more coming up in hour number two but question of the day to you is this should athletes should professional athletes be able to bet on sports should they be able to gamble on sports whether it's in a sports book or on online on different apps we know all the different ones that are out there now should professional athletes be able to bet on sports give me a call 334-321-1390 and there's a couple of different ways to look at this right I think a lot of people I think a lot of people would be in a same in a similar boat and I think there's a, a a way to ask this question in two different ways you can just straight up say should they be able to bet on sports at all or I think the other way to, to ask this question is to say, should professional athletes be able to bet on sports that they are not a part of? And what I mean by that is, an NFL player, should he be allowed to bet on other sports outside of the NFL? 
Should he be able to bet on sports outside of even the game of football itself? That's the boat that I'm in. I think that if you are a professional NFL wide receiver and you want to bet on the U.S. soccer game if they're playing Mexico tonight, I think you should be allowed to do that. I think if you're a professional NBA point guard, if Russell Westbrook decides, you know what, I'm going to bet on the L.A. Kings in the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs in the hockey game tonight, I think he should be allowed to do that. Why? It has no impact. He has no say or impact on if that bet hits or not. He has no say or impact on whether that bet hits or if that game goes in his favor or not. He has no impact on the result of that game. Now, if there's an NFL quarterback or an NBA point guard or a a hockey player, a goalie, that says, you know what, I'm going to bet on my game tonight. No, I don't think you should be able to do that, right? And I don't think you should be able to bet on your own sport, even if it's outside of your individual game. Now, in the game of baseball, we know one of the most famous players of all time is still being shamed and held out of the Hall of Fame because of these exact reasons and Pete Rose. But in my opinion, the fact that the NFL is so hard on players gambling on sports with these five players being suspended and credit that's the rule and so I'm not upset that the players got suspended they broke the rules the rules are in place and it's very very clear that they don't want players betting on games but if you're betting on a sport outside of your own where you don't have a say in what the outcome is and it doesn't affect you or your team or your opponent in any way shape or form why can't you throw money on it And in today's world of sports, where we know gambling has become so big, it's promoted now. I just think the rule itself is pretty silly, in my opinion. We'll talk about that more coming up in hour number two, but stay tuned. We'll talk about the rules changes coming to college football and the one that was proposed by the SEC today. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Monday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm Jacob Goins solo and today here in the studio, Carter Bird uh, out of the out of the studio this afternoon. Also our intern Jenny not here and so it's just me and so again if you want to call in, be a part of the show, be on the line, I would love to hear from you. 334 334- 321-1390, that number again, 334-321-1390. You can also tweet at me, at ESPN1067 on Twitter. Well, want to change gears a little bit and talk about what happened late last week in college football. Now, we didn't get a chance to talk about it much uh, with the all the Auburn basketball news that we had on Thursday and Friday, and so today's a great opportunity to start talking about this because this was something that was proposed and it was also approved and it raised a lot of concern for college football fans and so I'd love to get your thoughts on this one of the things in college football that has separated itself from the NFL is the first down 
clock, right? The the strategy around the first downs. Now, in college, as you all know, when you pick up the first down, the clock temporarily stops for the for the officials to move the chains, right? And that's sort of been a strategy for a lot of teams is to use that to their advantage. No, it's not a full timeout, but you get that 10 to 15 seconds where you have time to regather yourself, get a play call in, get set up, and as soon as they place the ball, set the chains, boom, you're ready to go. Whereas in the NFL, that doesn't happen. They just go. The only way you get to stop the clock is by timeouts, running out of bounds, and those types of things. Well, late last week, college football and the NCAA, they approved rule changes on Friday proposed earlier in the year that will now allow the clock to run after first downs are achieved in all divisions except Division Three. But the clock will continue to stop after first downs during the final two minutes of each half. So one of the major things that has separated college football from professional football when a team, let's say Auburn, If they run for the first down, instead of the clock stopping for that 5, 10, 15 seconds for them to reset the chains and then it start again, that'll be no more. The clock will keep running unless you're inside of two minutes at the end of either the first half or the second half. And so I will give you my thoughts on that, but let's get to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Who am I talking with? You're on the line. Hey, this is Robbie calling you from Pike Road. Hey, Robbie from Pike Road. How are you, man? I'm doing good. Uh, two things. One, if you want to speed the game up, keep, keep the clock running during reviews. Interesting. That okay. Would, that would take about 30 minutes off the game. I was about to say, we may not even get through a whole quarter, Robbie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the other thing is, as far as the gambling, it's not illegal for NFL players to gamble. They just cannot gamble on NFL games. And if they gamble on any other games, they cannot do it at an NFL facility, and that's where these guys got in trouble. Right. That is a big part of it is doing it inside of team facilities, which, uh, again, that's something the NFL has tried to crack down on. And a lot of it is, you know, they always come out with the reason of trying to what keep the integrity of our game and stuff like that. But there's been so much other stuff that's happened. Like, I just don't think that's a legitimate a legitimate argument, but you're right. A lot of it has to do with with them doing it inside of team facilities. Yeah, and that's what got them in trouble. It wasn't the fact they gambled. It's that they gambled. They broke the rules. I mean, if you know the rules going in, then you just suffer the consequences. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that's and, just the way it is. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, and like I said, they know the rules. Like, the rules have been in place even, for a long time. Yeah, and, like, and even if and even if we all consider the rules dumb, if they're still rules, you got to follow them. That's and 100% you right. You, you suffer the consequences. Yep, that's 100% right. To go back to college football, because that's what this rule change is about, and that's where I was getting to. They're doing this to to try to speed up the game, right? That's what the goal is. You see that in – we're seeing it in Major League Baseball, right, with the pitch clock. You're seeing it in these different sports because what they're realizing is people's attention spans are less and less and less, right? So they're trying to keep people watching the entire game so they can see all their advertisements. Well, that's my argument is – Let's cut out the commercials, right? Why do we have to have five-minute commercials every two minutes when there's a stoppage in play? Now, Robbie, well, that will never happen. Know, <laughs> yo, and you know That'll the never happen. To that. 
it's all about the money. Absolutely. And that's where the cash cow is. So, mm-hmm. But again, to me, the biggest waste of time is these reviews. If you, if you can't figure it out in 60 seconds, then it, it can't be figured out. The call stands. We don't need to sit for five, six minutes deciding on an instant replay. Right. I mean, that, that's the biggest waste of time in all of these games. And college baseball's actually gotten it right. If you see a, 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 a going to replay in college baseball, mm-hmm. they've made the call, and it's a minute, and it's over. Let's move on. And I like that. I don't understand why football, we sit there waiting while they're you know looking at pixels. Mm-hmm. If it's that close, then it's – you you can't change the call. Right. Let's just move on. If you Give don't them sixty seconds, if, it's over. Yeah. If you don't know, you don't know. Right. And I'm I'm a hundred percent with you on that. And you've seen, like you said, baseball is doing that. You've seen some other football leagues doing that. Other professional leagues, right? They'll put a clock on it. Two minutes. Like you've got two minutes. And if you can't if you can't decide, then stick with the call. And and I, I agree with that. I think reviews are a big part of why college football has has slowed down. And one thing about this too, Robbie, before I let you get out of here, is the fact that this rule change about first downs, the clock not stopping, I think I read somewhere that it's gonna average take away only seven plays from a game. Like yeah. is that really yeah. that big of a time difference when there are other yeah. ways to speed it up? I just don't know. I, I agree. And let let me let me say one thing to tie the two together. Yeah. I think some of this waiting forever to get a call is directly directly related to gambling. How so? Well, if you've got a ton of money on a game, you better get the call right. Fair. Yeah. And so <laughs> I mean, I, I think sometimes what happens is you start uh, you you get these this call could mean millions one way or the other Mm -hmm. and so i think there's some influence there interesting i mean look very well could be i would i would love to sit here and tell you that that officials keep all of that separate and we hope they do they do do. no no i don't i don't think that i mean i don't think there's like collusion or anything like that i'm just saying i think there's pressure oh oh, yeah 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 to, to get it to get it right because they know there's a lot of lot of money involved here, mm-hmm. which is fair. And I, so no, I don't think there's like they're, okay. they're consciously okay. thinking I, I I need to make this because I've got to make this to make people happy. But I think they they're 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 trying to get it perfect mm-hmm. so that at the end the winners are really winners, and so. I think there might be a little bit of overlay there, but again, I think it all boils down to give them sixty seconds. If you can't figure it out, then then move on. Yep, I'm with that's you, man. The biggest waste of get time. I appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah, appreciate the call, Rob. It's good to hear from you, man. I appreciate you calling in and and being a part of the show. 334-321-1390. Would love to get uh, anybody else's thoughts. Talking about the the rule change on Friday in college football where the clock will not will, – now it will not stop after a first down is achieved unless you are within two minutes at the end 
of each half. And again, love to hear from you. Great points from Robbie, 334-321-1390. And to, to kind of wrap up what he was saying there at the end, there's no doubt there's a great deal of pressure on officials and officiating to get the calls right, especially in late game situations in big time college football games or the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs that we're watching right now, right? But that comes at all times. Like that's that added pressure should be there no matter what. I don't care if you're if you're officiating the Pee-wee football game on Tuesday night. Or if you're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals coming up in June. Like, I don't care what level you're on and how much money is bet on it. I think that added pressure just comes with being an official, which is what makes their job so tough. That's what makes doing what they do extremely hard and extremely difficult, which is why, folks, you're seeing less and less and less people want to be referees, want to be officials, want to be umpires. You're seeing less people want to do it because unless you're at the top of your game, you don't make a lot of money, you're hated by everybody, nobody nobody walks into the arena and says, wow, I can't wait for that guy to officiate my game. He's just fantastic, right? And nobody walks out of the game saying, that was a really well-officiated basketball game. That was a really, really well-called game by the home plate umpire. Nobody says that. And so that's why officials are dwindling by the day because of the added pressures that is on their job, which comes back to, as our caller was saying, he thinks some of that has to do with the money being gambled on sporting events because of the added pressure. And I see where he's getting at there. But to bring this back to college football in this rule change it's about speeding up the game and that's where I was going and Robbie I appreciate your call that's where I was going with this is that's why this rule is being implemented they're trying to speed up college football but on average this is going to eliminate seven plays from a game this new rule change where the clock won't stop after a first down you're doing all this for seven plays what is that two minutes I mean, I just don't understand how this was the the go-to move. Now, let me say this. I don't mind it. I don't mind the rule change. I really don't because it will implement a new strategy and a new way of thinking in college football. And I also think this, while it will only remove on average, this is their estimation, right? This is an estimation on on around seven plays per game. You're going to see teams operate faster, quicker, right? You're going to see a different mindset on offense. You're going to see a different mindset on defense as well because now the teams know, okay, he just ran for that first down and picked it up, whereas before, up until this point, okay, we've got 10 seconds of a buffer to look to the sideline, get the call, make sure everybody's situated while the officials are setting up the new sticks, placing the ball for the first down, and then the clock starts again. That is eliminated. That will not be a part of the game of college football unless you're within two minutes to end each half, in the first half, in the second half, second quarter, and fourth quarter. So you will now see teams have that mindset and know that and maybe play with a little bit bit more urgency which could speed the game up anyway. 
And so I think that may be where they're going with this rather than trying to see how many plays they can take out of a game because I don't like that thought process. I don't like trying to take plays away from a game because then you're limiting the opportunities of the players, the teams, and the coaches to perform at their highest level and give them better chances to win, and you're taking that away from the college football fan, right? the ones at the games, the ones on TV, and the ones listening on radio. You're taking that away from them. But I think this whole move is to try to get some more urgency into the game of football, college football, that is, to speed things up. But the review process is one of those, if you don't like this rule, if you don't like this rule change, the review process is absolutely a way you can look at and say, well, let's speed that up. And I 100% agree. Because nowadays in college football, if that game is on one of the big TV networks, take CBS, for example, if that game's on CBS, if they go to review, they're taking a TV timeout. They're taking a TV timeout immediately that is the first instinct is let's run that five minute commercial let's run that commercial get our ads in and we'll come back and even then there's times they still don't know the answer to the play and I'm with Robbie I think 60 seconds is a little fast I'm okay with two minutes if a team challenges it or it's called from the booth or it's called from the home office wherever it comes from if there is a review in college football You get two minutes, and if in two minutes you don't know and you can't make a decision, whatever you called on the field, that stands. Because at that point, you're trying to break it down farther than what it was intended to do. That's how replay all got started. That's why replay was put in to sports, was to get the correct call, but it wasn't implemented for the officials to go in and break down the game piece by piece, millisecond by millisecond, because then you're taking away of them being actual human officials, and you're taking away the human aspect of sports, which is an argument that goes against the automated balls and strikes in in baseball, which is a separate argument. But I think with college football, if you're looking for ways to speed the game up, I don't hate this rule change about the first down clock. I really, really don't. I don't hate it. Uh, I know I'm pretty confident Carter, my co-host, is not the biggest fan of it, and I'm sure we'll talk about that tomorrow when he's back with me, but I don't hate it, but I think there are other ways to speed the game up where you don't have to change the game itself, because I think that should be, that should be the last resort, in my opinion. Changing the game itself and how the game is played and how the game is coached and how the game is watched That should be the last resort for the NCAA and the SEC and any other conference in college football. And in sports in general, if you're trying to speed it up or make it safer or make it better, whatever the case may be, changing how the game is played should be the last resort. And this absolutely changes how it's played. By stopping the clock and now not stopping the clock after first downs, it changes a lot for the mindsets of offenses and defenses in college football. We'll wrap up this conversation when we come back. Got to get to our final break. Robbie, appreciate the call, man. Love to hear from anybody else. 334-321-1390. I'm Jacob going soloing today here on the Monday edition of On the Line. We'll wrap up hour number one when we come back. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. 
Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's get to the phone lines as we wrap up our number one, 334-321-1390. Terry, you're on the line. You got a question for me, huh? Yeah, I do, Jacob. I find the uh, all the portal news, quite honestly, a little underwhelming. Um, considering what people were saying, I guess I bought into it. There was going to be mass exit, mass exodus, and mass addition. Mm-hmm. They were talking about ten to, numbers like ten to twelve additions and ten to twelve losses. It, I find it very underwhelming. It hadn't been discussed near enough. Now, basketball's added two really good players. Don't deny that, but I'm real satisfied with what Hugh Freeze has already done. Quite honestly, he's already made. Uh, headway and the most important part that's the offensive line yes yeah and you know I think I think with the portal around football it has and not just Auburn I will say this not just Auburn really around college football it has been this spring portal window has been slower and less chaotic than what we thought it was going to be Uh, and I think there are a couple of reasons for that that I can get into here at the end of this hour and start hour number two but I don't think Auburn fans should be worried about it I'll say that not at all not at all. And I do not think the Grayson McCall stuff is dead by any means. I don't either. I I think he could be in Auburn in June. I, do, I really believe that. So I'd like to hear you talk a little about that when you come back if you don't mind. Will do, Terry. I appreciate the call. Take Sure, take care, bud. That is Terry joining us as we are wrapping up our number one. Uh, and yes, I will. I'll get into some of that as we get into uh, our number two. We got a few minutes here to wrap up this first hour on the Monday edition of On the Line. And to kind of get into that, the basketball side of it, absolutely. Bruce Pearl has done a fantastic job. He's brought in two really, really good players already through the transfer portal and there could be more I mean we'll have to wait and see I think Auburn's going to have some spots open on their roster with with uh with scholarship numbers but you've seen Auburn already offer Denver Jones and he committed he signed uh so he will be here for Auburn at the guard position should be a really really good two guard uh for Auburn basketball who will come in and be I think a a pretty good improvement at the guard position from what Auburn has seen in the past. Not that they haven't had good guards, but we know Auburn's been looking to maybe upgrade in the transfer portal. That's something I talked about on Friday was uh, if you lose somebody in the portal, the goal and the mindset should be how can we upgrade from what we lost, right? Same thing with a decommitment in high school. If you lose somebody, if they decommit from you like we saw, we saw two people decommit from Auburn last week, but they also picked up another recruit in the transfer portal, that is. That should be the mindset, in my opinion. If you lose somebody from recruiting from a decommit or somebody, if you leave your team out of the transfer portal, the mindset, in my opinion, should be, how can we upgrade from what we lost? And I think Bruce Pearl has done that for Auburn basketball. I think he will continue to do that for Auburn basketball. And I think Hugh Freeze, I mean, let's be honest, the only way you can go is up. That's it for our number one. Stay tuned. I'll address some of that that Terry had to say coming up at the start of our number two. ESPN 1067. 
Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika, sports leader. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on a beautiful, sunny afternoon here in Auburn, Alabama. A little cooler than what I thought it would be today, but on this Monday, April 24th, 2023, this is the Monday edition of On the Line. Hour number two is underway. If you missed any of hour number one, be sure to go and catch up with the podcast after the show. You can find it at ESPNAU.com or just search on the line wherever you get your podcast it'll be commercial free up there right after the show had some braves audio to play in the first hour also talked about the uh big rule change in college football as well and uh, talked about how that is changing the game and how they're trying to speed it up a little bit had some good calls about that terry at the end of hour number one uh asked us to talk about asked me to talk about the uh the transfer portal in college football and how it is not as chaotic as what people thought it would be so I'll get into that coming up in just a few minutes but I am alone here in the studio I thought everybody had ditched me for the day Carter Bird out of the studio handling some things Jenny our intern no she's not here either but Carter may have heard me talking bad about him and he's joining us on the phone lines now Carter hope you're doing well buddy Doing all right, man. Just uh, driving in the car right now, and so I figured I'd call in and uh, I'd, I'd pull you when you're doing some uh, Lee Scott athletics, uh, calling some radio, uh, high school basketball or baseball. I figured I'd call on the show and uh, talk talk about the the news of the day. Yeah, well, it's good to hear from you, man, and just stay safe on your way back to Auburn. But, yeah, lots to talk about today. And I want to get into what Terry had asked me to talk about at the end of the first hour coming in here to hour number two. He was asking about and wanted us to mention why the transfer portal window here in this spring window has been less chaotic than what people thought it would be, whether it be with Auburn in particular or even college football as a whole. And, Carter, I think – it's just it's not as crazy as we thought it was going to be across the board, but in Auburn's sake, I don't think Auburn fans should be worried. Yeah, I mean, I think within within reason, I think there's some places where Auburn definitely needs to to upgrade or they need to go get depth pieces, and I think you see them um, attacking the offensive line here um, early in this portal period with the the offers to Jaden. Jaden Muskrat, the, the Tulsa transfer offensive lineman. Uh, I I want to see if that prior relationship with Philip Montgomery does Auburn any favors there, because it already did with Dylan Wade. Uh, let's see if it pays off with Jaden Muskrat. And then you have uh, Emmanuel Pregnon, the the guard out of Wyoming, who honestly, I mean, if he's a freshman All-American this past year, honestly, I think he walks in the door and I think he starts over all of your guards. Uh, if you land, if you go land those guys, then we're talking about a really strong, pretty deep offensive line. I think you feel comfortable about your first seven, eight, nine guys at that point in time. If you go land a couple guys like that, uh, I, we know Auburn's also going to get an edge rusher, uh, mm-hmm. Jaheim Thomas, I believe is his name, the the 
Cincinnati linebacker. I think that's his name. I know. I know his first name is Jaheim. Uh, I can't look it up right now because I am on the road. But yeah, uh, please don't do that. It, <laughs> um, he's somebody who I think um, could come in and kind of add some pass rush for this Auburn team. If Auburn were to land him, there there's strategic spots. We see. Um, Wide receivers starting to heat up with some news there. I think uh, the the former five-star TCU wide receiver, whose name's escaping me at the current moment, I think he locked in an official visit here recently. There are places to to still upgrade the roster, and this staff's going to do it. But to Terry's point about it not being crazy, it not being that chaotic, I think that I legitimately think that it's a matter of it's a little bit of a perspective change for all of us because well I think that there is an aspect of who would be in the portal anyway right now generally it's your guys that are locked in a position battle that lost it or know that they are not at the top of the the depth chart in their current school and so they may not be immediate upgrades but then also another aspect of it I think coaches are being a little more savvy with this I think you have coaches that are deciding, huh, maybe maybe I keep um, kind of keep these guys on the line, string them along a little bit more, let them know, hey, you're still locked in a battle through the spring into fall camp. Like, you still have a chance of winning a starting job because then I think it keeps – you're more likely to hang on to that play. Mm-hmm. And I think that something like that is taking place um, – I, I mean, I, I think about Georgia and their quarterback battle. Uh, I mean, I think we all expect Carson Beck to be the guy. But we've seen Brock Vandegrift stick in there uh, and stay at Georgia because I think he still thinks he's in a battle there. And and he very well might be, but he also might be a decent ways behind and may not have that much of a chance to, to win that job. Uh, and I, and I, I think that there's – there are – Fewer obvious situations for players in this portal period where it's like, huh, I'm not happy with my playing time here. That's not going to change because I'm not going to beat this other guy out in a battle. I need to leave. That happens a lot more often in the January uh, portal period because it's fresh off the season. It's fresh in your mind. Right. And you have more time to evaluate it. And I think that's where you see a lot of your big – highlight name, like move the needle type of guys hit the portal, and and that's a lot more common there. The spring is a little weirder. I think it's, I think you have some instances like uh, like I expect T.J. Finley, a guy who could not have left in January because he has already transferred one time. But now he's on the verge of graduating. He's mentioned it as much. This might open a window for a guy like that to leave. And you're, and you're going to see other people do that. Grayson McCall is an interesting uh, case that Terry brought up because I don't think we really know where he stands. I don't think anybody he, knows. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even is there a scenario where even if he graduates, there's difficulty transferring to a school because of, because we know the issue has been academics. Could he graduate from Coastal and still have issues transferring to another school? I think it's certainly something that, that um, 
staffs have to be worried about. I mean, I, I just think that there's a combination of factors in terms of there's a different caliber of player on the portal right now. There is um, it's shorter time frame. Uh, people may be waiting on some some things, and I think coaches are just being savvier with by by. And maybe it's not the right thing to do by the player because you're trying to hold guys on your roster. You're trying to keep it together as much as you can. It may not be to the benefit of every player, but it's to the benefit of your team. It's to the benefit of your roster. I think you've got some of that going on as well. But you got to think about what today's game of college football is and, and, and how it's always been is you have to do whatever you can to stay ahead or get ahead of of the other big time programs yes. in the country. And so no, I think you're I think you're right where there is some of that going on and you think about how much of a different mindset that is than what we had 5 or 10 years ago where as a coach coming out of the spring, you wanted to have your your starters and your backups pretty much locked down to where you didn't have to worry about that over the summer. You could just have your guys working out, getting bigger and yep. stronger, and when you came into the fall, you were getting ready for game one rather than what they're having to do right now, which is, okay, I have to keep as many guys on my roster as physically possible so they don't go play somewhere else and nobody and everybody just leaves and we come back in the in the fall and we're like, oh, crap, we don't have enough players or whatever it may be. But, yeah, I think it's a, it's a completely different mindset in today's game of college football and also something you and I have talked about, Carter, is the fact that there are teams still practicing in the spring with the transfer portal open right now. And I think that has a huge factor in playing in this as well with teams still playing their spring games coming up this weekend. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's, there's guys whose mindset will be – well, let's get through spring and, you know, spring games for everybody are generally the final events of spring. It's like, it's almost like, heck, it really is almost like this because the spring game itself is not worth all that much from a football or practice perspective in terms of improving, uh, improving as a team, improving as a player. It's like the daggum uh, closing ceremonies at the, at the Olympics. <laughs> it's, it's this big event, but it's, not as good as as the opening ceremony it's not as good as the real competition it's just kind of there and you i guess you kind of tune in uh just because it's the middle of summer or whatever or it's the middle of the winter and this only happens every so often and you uh tune in just to see it all wrap up but i mean it's it's i i think you've got a little bit of these guys want to get through their their springs now some of them they end on the 29th so you're going to have a day to figure out what you want to do, which honestly, in that situation, you better figure out what you want to do before the 29th, before your spring game. I am curious because we saw, we've seen so many teams just the last two weeks have their spring games and wrap up spring. We see it liven up because now there is a, there is the, the countdown clock, the, uh, it's like the the timer on a bomb when it's going to explode. Like you only got so much time left, mm-hmm. and if you're not happy where you're at, do we see it pick up this week? And I think that there's certainly a possibility for that. Um, and I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. I I do think Auburn Auburn may not add the eight nine guys that I thought they were going to at the beginning. I think Auburn's still going to go add five. 
maybe six at minimum because there are still, and this is thanks to the last two years of Gus Malzahn and the two years of Brian Harson, there are a lot of holes on this on this roster. When you look at the last few years of, of Gus Malzahn's recruiting, I liken it to uh, empty calories when you're eating food. Yes, there are stars there, but too many of them don't pan out. And too many of them are skill position guys that don't pan out, and you're not doing anything on the offensive line. And that's how you get into a, a situation where these past few years, Bo Nix and Robbie Ashford, whoever's playing quarterback for Auburn, is running for their lives behind a really bad offensive line. And now you've seen huge that, and I think that's part of the reason why you look at you have comments like from Terry, where he's like, I don't think Auburn fans should be that worried. Yes, because they've done a good job addressing it to this point. They've done a really good job. But I think at the same time, we need to be a little realistic that there are so many issues with this roster coming into 2023 that you can only address so much in the transfer. Right. This is great. This is not going to be a perfect roster in 2023. I think this is – I don't like to, in a a transfer portal era, to assign a year zero, like where whatever happens doesn't count. And, and what Hugh Freeze is going to do is going to be better than anything Brian Arson in year one. What Hugh Freeze is going to do is going to be better than anything Brian Arson did in his entire Auburn career. Whether it's on the recruiting trail, whether it's on the field, it's going to be it. But I do think you almost have to, to call this a year point five because of the state Gus Nazan and, and, and Brian Arson left the roster. I think 24 is going to be the first year that you can really look at the results on the field and be like, okay, this is essentially a true Hugh Freeze team. Because at that point in time, you will have added at least you will have added a short cycle class that he put together in two, three weeks, a true one entire transfer portal class. You will have added one complete class and then another transfer portal class. That's gonna be a lot of guys. That's gonna be fifty scholarship guys that are Hugh Freeze guys, maybe more than that. Mm-hmm. I think 2024 will probably be the first time that you can get a full grasp of what the entire Hugh Freeze tenure is going to look like. And I think that's fair. I think that I think it should be that way in college football, in college athletics in general. Like When you take over a program in year one, the fact that the expectations are as high as they are on any coach at any program is a little ridiculous to me, and that has been put on by the fans who want success right now, right now, right now. And look, Auburn fans are in that boat as well. They want to win. They want to win right now, especially with Alabama, what yeah. they've been over the past 10 years and what Georgia is becoming and what they already are. You understand why Auburn fans want that, but I'm with you, Carter. I think that this year... Hugh Freeze should get some form of a, not a pass, but I mean, you can't expect to win the Natty this year. I don't think 2013 is going to happen in 2023. Let's just be honest. And so yeah. uh, I think that you're right, though. With the transfer portal, you don't get as much grace because you have an opportunity to make your team better. And Hugh Freeze is doing that, and I think will continue to do that. You talk about the holes yeah. on this team, wide receiver. You saw Auburn offer the Colorado receiver Quarterback. today. Quarterback. Quarterback, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are ways and holes that Auburn and Hugh Freeze have to fill. 
but I think they will. But coming into 2023, yeah, you have to – you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. But 24 should be where Auburn fans look to and expect to really understand what yep. they will see out of Hugh Freeze and this staff because you already mentioned he will have – full routines and full cycles under his belt and those will all be his true guys and one thing you had mentioned a little bit earlier too was talking about guys in the spring coming into the spring game and already having their mind made up that Colorado wide receiver who had three passes for 154 yards and two touchdowns over the weekend and then enter the transfer portal right after that sounds like his mind may have been made up before Saturday as well well, or he's trying to capitalize on a, on a big performance on a big stage. But I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't take that like his performance. I'm going to view that as an isolated instance until I, I, I don't know a lot about the guy to be honest with you. Uh, until I know for a fact that he's done that more than one time in a spring game on a roster that's trying to portal up from what a three win two three-win teams this past year, one of the worst right. teams in all of the Power Five. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to add, like, to see that in the spring game. Because I saw the first, one of the first touchdown catches, uh, and the DB, like, falls down, and he walks to the end zone, like, 80 yards. And it's just, I mean, that's well and good, but he didn't have to do anything that special for that moment. Now, you mentioned expectations on coaches in year one. I think circumstances dictate that. I think circumstances do not ever situate because I in year one and Hugh Freeze at Auburn in year one, I think they're totally different because I think Hugh Freeze had a wildly um, barren roster when it comes to talent and what he needs to succeed at the Power Five level, much less the SEC and much less the SEC West, which we know is the toughest division in college football, I think that, that it's going to take a little more time for him to revamp that roster. And the recruiting was not on par where it needed to be when he came in, and that he has had to work overtime to build it back up. Now, when you look at Lincoln Riley at USC, Clay Helton may not have had the greatest results of all time on the Field, but Clay Helton brought in some decent talent to USC, and I don't think that roster was devoid of talent. And keep in mind, you're playing in the Pac-12, which is okay to set some level of expectations on a coach in year one if he's walking into the right situation. The thing is, with Auburn, you've what is one of the worst situations Auburn's been in in a long time? The building blocks are there for the future. You got the new facility. You got the NIL collective. You got the NIL money. You've got everything you need from an external perspective. It just either was not finished under the last coaches, and so they weren't able to utilize it, or the effort wasn't there, or it wasn't being maximized. And he's starting in a hole that he has to dig his way out of. My co-host Carter Bird joining me on the phone lines on his way back from Birmingham. I'm Jacob Goins here with you on the Monday edition of On the Line. Carter is sticking with me through this next break. We'll talk a few more things around Auburn athletics, the sports world in general, and then Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network will join us at 3.30 to talk all things Auburn athletics. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Monday edition of On the Line. 
are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Question of the day here on the Monday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins, my co-host Carter Burke, joining me on the phones as he is out on the road. And Carter, I had this discussion a little bit back in hour number one. I actually had a phone call about it, and uh, uh, he brought up some really, really good points. And so question of the day to you, brother, is this. With the five NFL players that were suspended last week for gambling, a lot of it has been because they're doing it inside of team facilities. A lot of it has been you know, gambling on, uh, and not these in particular, but gambling on their own sport and stuff like that. Question of the day to you, should professional athletes be able to gamble on sports? You know, I think that it's something that is going to continue to be a very uh, hot topic. It's going to be debated a lot. I think there there is a an avenue to allow them to do it on Sports that are not their own. But when you start betting on your own sport, I think it creates a very slippery slope. It's really, really easy to, one, start potentially betting on your own games, which I know, I mean, let's think about Pete Rose. Pete Rose allegedly bet on his own team to win. And that was it. Allegedly. That's what is that's what he claims. I I mean, even within that, whether it's subconsciously or what whatever it may be, when he managed the rents, I think he he could mismanage his own team in the game for an entire series. Because in his mind, to cover his bet, he has to, he may use more bullpen arms or strategically exhaust some of his options to try to win that game and it may affect the team or the, the series or what have you. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think back to the Calvin Ridley thing with the Falcons. He bet on a Falcons game when he was hurt, he was not playing. So his on the field performance may not have, uh, affected how how what 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 took place on the field and i think that that's very true and i think that that's that's valid but he's a member of that team he knows the game plan he knows how they're going to attack the other team and if the other team can stop it it's almost like a version of insider trading right which which i think is makes it very dangerous in a sport and you may be able to uh, dictate what kind of dictate uh, what all is taking place because of your inside knowledge. I think that can be a little bit true for around the league as well. Like if you bet on your own sport, it's a little bit of insider knowledge or whatever because you're you may be friends with guys all over the league. You may have inside knowledge that other other people don't. I just think it's a very slippery slope. When you do it on your own sport, you know, I think it's very easy to because it can start out as a, just kind of an innocent idea of like, oh, like here's some advice to a buddy on like 
our game that we are going to play. And then before you know it, you're betting on your own your own team. And right. I think that obviously what everybody is trying to avoid is some sort of point-shaving scandal, some sort of you bet on your team to lose and you are actively trying to undermine your own team. That's where – that is the – the ultimate disaster when allowing players to bet on bet on sports and then bet on their own sports. Right. And that's why the that's why the tough rules are in place. And I'm with you. I think I think if you let them bet on their own sport in general, you're asking for trouble. My example was if Russell Westbrook wants to bet on the Stanley Cup playoffs, let him do it. Who cares? He doesn't have any impact on that, right? So that's sort of my take on it. Carter, I appreciate you calling in, brother. Be careful driving. I'll see you uh, tomorrow. Sounds good. See you then. See you, brother. I appreciate you calling in. That's my co-host, Carter Bird. But stay tuned. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joins me on the other side. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 more minutes here on the Monday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins. Carter Bird called in for a few minutes. I appreciate him joining the show as he is on his way back to Auburn. I appreciate him calling in and talking a little ball with me for a few minutes. But it is Monday here on On the Line, which means Jacob Hillman joins us on the phone lines Monday at 3.30 every single week here on ESPN 106.7. Hillman, you've got some good news to talk about for Auburn Athletics over the weekend, brother. (laughs) Man, to say the least, what an exciting weekend. Uh, whether it was in Tuscaloosa with Auburn softball or back home on, in Plainson Park with Auburn baseball, it, it really was uh, a positive weekend. Well, I really was looking forward to this phone call until about five minutes ago when the news is official that Aaron Rodgers was just traded to the New York Jets. And so, I mean, it, we've known well, it's coming, but it, it's, it's official now, and so it just stings a little bit more. Well, you, you're just hoping for Jordan Love just to be the next great Packers quarterback, and you never know. You just got to wait and see. I mean, here's the thing. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, they took some time to figure things out, so maybe Jordan Love will be the same way. There's no shot you just came on my show and compared Jordan Love to Brett Favre and Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. There's no shot that just happened. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm not that – not necessarily, but that's a conversation for another day. Well, we can all dream at some point. Well, let's talk some Auburn athletics because it was a very successful weekend for the Tigers on both diamonds for baseball and for softball. And uh, according to our very quick research, Jacob Hillman, it seems like this was the only the second time in conference play that baseball and softball won their weekend series versus SEC foes. Yeah, that, that is the case. It's it, It's one of those weekends where you feel like both teams, they, they just came out and they, they, they played really well and uh, did what they needed to do because I, I feel like both of these series were must-haves for both programs, both teams, because uh, baseball, obviously, you're trying to play your way back into postseason contention. Softball's trying to play their way into hosting consideration when the NCAA tournament rolls around. So just, just really clutch moments and, and, and big-time performances uh, on both diamonds this weekend. Well, Hillman, you were on the call for softball, as you have been uh, most of the year. So we'll start with the Lady Tigers, who went and did something they haven't done, Jacob, in a few years. They went to Tuscaloosa and took the series against the Crimson Tide. What did you see on the call this weekend? Man, 
the Maddie Pen- it was Maddie Pencil weekend in Tuscaloosa. She was stellar as she always has been. She got to start in Game Two and Game Three after Friday night's game had to be postponed due to weather. And man, it, it was a heck of a performance. Two complete game wins for her, uh, and it really just showed that she is here and she's arrived as one of the best pitchers that Auburn's ever seen on the softball field. She had seven strikeouts in that game two victory, and then in game three to clinch the series, she had eight strikeouts. But I feel like most importantly, in that game, in, in, in game two, uh, it felt like the top of the lineup was able to really produce for Alabama. And then in game three, uh, she, she shut them down in situations where Alabama threatened late, but Auburn just continued, and Maddie Penta continued to uh, not let them score. And then obviously the top of the sixth inning when – uh, Nelia Peralta gets on base, and Marie Ellis and, and Denver Bryant able to drive them in, drive her in. It was just, it was an all-around effort, and and what you really needed from this team. And I, I think there was a stretch where Auburn was only scoring with home runs the past couple of weeks, and then, like I said, that sixth inning was it was, it was something special for the offense and and Maddie Penta in the last two innings as well. Auburn softball, thirty-five and fourteen overall. They're eleven and seven in conference play. You and Britt Bowen uh, and JJ Jackson have been doing a fantastic job calling those games for the Auburn Sports Network. What's been the best part about it for you, being a part of that this season, watching a team who, as you mentioned, has a chance to host in the NCAA's? Yeah, it's really interesting because this team it feels like has has taken steps further every single weekend. Obviously, you start off in Clearwater, Florida, you go 4-1, and one, and then you have your non-conference stretch at home where you're really successful, run-ruling teams here and there, and then you go on the road to Georgia, win game one, but then can't get the series win. You go to Oklahoma, play some tough games uh, against teams that played in the Women's College World Series last year, and then you, you get a couple series wins against Missouri, but then uh, after losing to Florida, I felt like that LSU series was a big turning point because uh, you've lose that game two and you feel a lot of pressure in that game three and it's a walk-off winner in in extra innings and then when you go on the road and beat Alabama obviously you hadn't been to Tuscaloosa since 2017 at all because of the way softball schedule shapes up Uh, it's it's back-to-back series wins in Tuscaloosa for the softball program and that's just such a big deal and like I said Maddie Penta and her performance as well as the offense coming through in the clutch it's just it's great to see because uh, like I said last weekend, it, it was interesting to see how the offense was was really home run or bust. But then you hit the walk off in in the last inning with Michaela Packer, and then this past weekend Brielle Denver Bryant in the sixth inning in Game Three. It just felt like the timely hitting, the clutch hitting, uh, ha- has really come along for this Auburn team, and I think that this offense can really start to pick up from there, and, and it can be a consistent thing. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joining us here on the Monday edition of On the Line with two series left for Auburn softball, uh, South Carolina this weekend at South Carolina. Then they come home and wrap it up versus Mississippi State. What's the confidence level like in this softball team in that dugout around the program before the SEC tournament that will be taking place in Fayetteville and then in the NCAAs? What's the confidence level like for this team and the chances that they do actually get to host something in the NCAAs? Yeah, they're feeling really good right now. And like I said, I mean, there's a lot of leaders on this team. You can't really pinpoint one. Obviously, everyone wants to talk about the Maddie Pinta, the the Brie Ellis of the world. Denver Bryant had a great weekend, and 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 there's plenty of names to mention that entire roster. But you're right, they're very confident, and 
you're sitting at 19 in the RPI, which which is a number that's important to look at because uh, that that is something the NCAA selection committee is going to take into account when selecting those top 16 seeds. And top 16 gets to host a regional, top eight gets to host a super regional. So Auburn trying to move into that top 16 conversation and, and host a regional. That's a big deal. Auburn hasn't done that uh, in a few years. And and these past, these last two weeks are are important for that standings because when you're facing a scrappy South Carolina team on the road or if you get a series win there, uh, that's just a big road series that you've won. And that Alabama road series is the first win, uh, first road series win since last year, first ranked one since 2019. So if you can do that back-to-back week, that, that, that is something that will uh, make some noise. And then you come home and finish the year against Mississippi State, who's at the bottom of the SEC standings, you almost want to try. You almost want to see a sweep out of that series, and if you don't get that, it's, it's not the end of the world. But uh, it really is uh, a critical final two weeks where you can't let you can't you can't fall asleep. You have to stay foot on the gas. Brielle talked about it on the Regions Day post game show with me. How you just have to keep going. You have to carry that momentum into the rest of the season and and hopefully into the postseason where uh, you can make a run. On the other side of campus and the other diamond for Auburn baseball, uh, they pick up another big SEC series win that they desperately needed. And, of course, Hillman, it was in dramatic fashion. It was in uh, crazy Auburn ways that they were able to do it. They win game one, two to one. They lose game two on Saturday, 11 to 10. And then on Sunday, uh, they came back from what seemed to be a mountain that they had to climb, and they do it. They come back and they win 12 to 11 in walk-off fashion. What did you see? And what were you told about Auburn baseball? I know you were on the call for softball, but Auburn baseball with a big series win this weekend. Yeah, fortunately, I was able to see most of that Friday night game as we didn't play uh, Friday night. And I listened to uh, a majority of Sunday after Auburn had started to mount the comeback. And, and, and it really was impressive to see some of the numbers from the pitching as far as the starters go. And, and, and obviously, Sunday, Zach Crotchell unfortunately went down with that back injury, but uh, Connor Copeland in relief. I mean, he he went four and a third. That that was just an incredible outing from him. And I just really think that this team is is seeing itself as a team that can win in clutch moments. Three one run games. Obviously, the Saturday game losing that one, but you scored six runs in the in the ninth inning, and you just fall short. You're you're just a few feet away from a case and how a grand slam that would have tied the game and uh, you, a potential sweep at that. So. I, I really think that this team is, is starting to recognize what it's about and what this team can do. You get quality starts from Tommy Vale and Christian Harbor-Holes. That was a big deal. And, and it's and I thought the bullpen looked really good on, on Friday night as well. Now, obviously, Saturday, things didn't look as great because um, I, throwing Armstrong and, and some other guys uh, two days in a row, that'll happen. That, that is what it is. But you trust those guys enough where you will try to do that and it just didn't work out this past weekend. But then Sunday, like I said, Connor Copeland, he has to be, well, I'll say on the pitching side and as the defensive side, the MVP of the weekend. Cooper McMurray clearly far and away the MVP this weekend. Mm-hmm. He's the SEC player of the week with his five home run week. But, man, Copeland, four and a third, uh, while zero batters. That That is a big deal for this Auburn pitching staff, and, and I really think that it can um, hopefully um, it can be contagious and it can really – lead the way for the staff going into the following weeks. 
And then, of course, for Auburn baseball, the schedule, uh, unlike softball where it seems they may have a chance to take advantage of weaker SEC opponents, Auburn baseball does not have that luxury, Jacob Hillman. They have the number three team, South Carolina, this weekend who is coming off a sweep of Florida. That'll be on the road uh, for the Tigers there in Columbia. Then they come home, and uh, all they have to do is take on LSU inside Plainsman Park. And so just a, a tough down-the-stretch series for Auburn. Then you have Ole Miss on the road in Oxford, which, no, they're not as good as they normally are, but it's still Ole Miss in Oxford. So what has to be the mindset for Auburn baseball as they enter what is no doubt the toughest part of their SEC schedule? Well, as far as these next two weeks go, at South Carolina and at home against LSU, I think both of those teams are far and away the best two teams in the country. I would make an argument that I think South Carolina has a case for the best team in the country, and it's unfortunate that they didn't get to complete their three-game series in Baton Rouge a few weeks ago through that game three being canceled, I think, due to weather. But it, it, it's going to be ultra-important for this team just to kind of build some momentum. Whether or not you win either of these series, grabbing a game both weekends and, and, and really just competing in both games. We've seen some games earlier this year like that uh, Game 3 against Georgia and, and Game 3 against Florida where uh, the game gets away from you and, and the bullpen kind of has to fight its way into these games where if you're only down a couple runs, you need to keep it to a couple runs and, and not let things get away. And I think a big deal also next week will be finals week for Auburn students, so there's not going to be a midweek game. There is the, uh, tomorrow night against Troy at 6 o'clock Central. Uh, Brad Law, Paul Ellen had the call on the Auburn Sports Network, but Next week, there is none of that. And you're at home against LSU on graduation weekend. So I, I just want to see this team rested up, feeling, uh, uh, feeling itself after this Mississippi State win, and, and build some confidence these next two weeks. Even if you don't win the series, you need to see positives out of these next two weekends. Speaking with Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network, joins us every Monday at 3.30 here on On the Line. For Auburn basketball, had some news late last week. Uh, some not-so-good news as Auburn had seen two guys decommit from Bruce Pearl and the Tigers, but they pick up uh, some they pick up some steam and some noise through the transfer portal with Chaney Johnson committing on Friday from UAH. What can you tell us about him and what he'll bring to Bruce Pearl and this Auburn team? Yeah, obviously Auburn played UAH in the exhibition before last season, and I think he scored uh, double-digit points. He had about five rebounds, six rebounds, something like that, uh, as far as the numbers go. And he's a lengthy guy that can play a little bit of the three, but I think that he's going to be more focused on uh, the four position and uh, competing with Jalen Williams or backing him up, what, whatever that results in. If Jalen Williams is to come back and play next season, he hasn't uh, obviously hasn't made any official decision. He declared for the draft, but retained his college eligibility. So, it's just going to be really interesting to see how he fits into the scheme for Auburn. I really like his numbers. He, he shoots it well from three, and, and that's what Auburn needs as well as that 6-7 side. So uh, getting Chaney Johnson was a big deal. He was the UA, in UAH's uh, conference player of the year, so uh, he definitely has a talent to translate that to the Division One level. And why should Auburn fans not be worried, even with before the Cheney Johnson news, why should Auburn fans, Auburn basketball fans, that is, why they, should they not be worried about guys decommitting from Bruce Pearl and Auburn? Because they lost a couple of big names, don't get me wrong, but right. why should Auburn fans not be worried that those guys decommitted? Well, and, that, and that's, that, to credit Bruce Pearl, he, he finds a way to bounce back. You saw just hours after the after the LeVaron Bylon news, uh, it was Cheney Johnson committing and, and signing. So he, he Bruce Pearl, you got to trust the process. 
and he's out recruiting still uh, as well as other coaches and, and, and scouting. So, it, like I said, just trust the process, and, and Bruce Pearl finds a way. And, and, and the transfer portal in this day and age, it can really, really uh, help you out uh, regardless of the high school recruiting uh, profile. So I, I just think that uh, Coach Pearl has his mindset. There's obviously news of, of different guys that Auburn is targeting that's, that's been out there, and, and, and that's the thing. You have to wait and see what this transfer portal now and, and how this shapes out because you never know how it shapes out. There could be names that haven't been mentioned that ends up on Auburn's roster and, and, uh, and, and really eases uh, the loss there. And mentioning the transfer portal, Jacob Hillman, Auburn fans are asking, is Auburn football going to get a quarterback? What's going on here, man? Yeah, I think we're, I think we're kind of at a point where not a ton of action has happened in the transfer portal. It's still open for a few more days, and, and obviously uh, there haven't been as many. I feel like it's been quiet on the football side of things where there hasn't been as many names entering as we'd expect other than maybe at Colorado, but it, it's just something that, I think it's a wait-and-see game there, too, because uh, you just haven't seen the names that you expect to see or, or at least the, the volume of names that you'd expect to see. And, and I think by the end of this week, that's when things will start to pick up and, and, and really see some movement between teams and players going to different schools and whatnot. It, it's kind of the calm before the storm right now, and, and we'll see uh, how, how stormy it gets towards the end of this week. Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network joins us every Monday at 3.30 right here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7, giving us all the updates about Auburn athletics, whether it's baseball, softball, uh, gymnastics, football, you name it, he's got it. Hillman, we appreciate your time, brother, as always. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you got going on with the Auburn Sports Network. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU and follow AU Sports Network for all of our broadcast times and and everything, both baseball and softball, will be in Columbia, South Carolina this weekend uh, to face the Gamecocks. Britt Bone will have softball coverage. Andy Burks and Brad Law will have your baseball coverage over the weekend. I'll be back on the call for softball uh, as the season ends against Mississippi State. They're not taking you to Columbia, man? What happened? I will figure it out. Man, hey, it's, it's possible at a less second possible that I'll be up there, so we'll see. We'll <laughs> I didn't know, see. didn't know if you had said anything to Britt that made him mad and said, you're, no, nah, you're staying no. back in Auburn. No, no, no. Britt, 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 Britt. Listen, I, I would love to join Britt this, this weekend. We'll just have to see if I can find some watching up there. <laughs> that sounds good, Jacob. We appreciate your time, brother. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me, guys. War Eagle. That is Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Again, he joins us every Monday at 3.30 right here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. We'll take our final break. I'll wrap it up. Jacob Goins with you solo in the studio, wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line when we come back. On the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 1067. Big thanks to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. Again, he joins us every Thursday or every Monday at 3.30, excuse me, every Monday at 3.30 here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 talking all things Auburn athletics. Uh, he's on the broadcast for uh, Auburn softball and does a fantastic job with all those guys over there. So big thanks to Jacob Hillman of the Auburn Sports Network. My co-host Carter Bird called in here in the beginning of Hour 2. We talked some football and 
Transfer Portal News. And uh, isn't it interesting that Hillman had the same things to say as some of our callers did, and Carter as well, about how the Transfer Portal is just a little bit slower right now. But that's okay. Don't you worry. But... Again, if you missed any of today's show, uh, be sure to go and search on the line wherever you get your podcast. It'll be commercial-free posted wherever you get your podcast, or just go to ESPNAU.com, and you can click on the Podcast Center, and it'll be uploaded right there right after the show. Just want to let you know, coming up this week here on ESPN 106.7, we claim to be the Auburn Opelika sports leader, and that's because we are, and it's time to get ready to hear the biggest names in college football get their names called in the 2023 NFL Draft live here on ESPN 106.7. Tune in starting on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for complete 2023 NFL Draft coverage. Thursday will feature the first round starting at 6 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7. Friday will begin at 5 p.m., so the second hour of the drive, if we have any drive listeners here, the second hour of the drive on Friday will be bumped. Uh, We'll have complete NFL Draft coverage then starting at 5 o'clock, and then on Saturday starting at 11 11 a.m. all right here on ESPN 106.7. There is no better way to tune in to the 2023 NFL Draft than on ESPN 106.7, the Auburn Opelika sports leader. And speaking of the NFL, got about a minute before we get out of here. Uh, As I mentioned to Jacob Hillman, it's a sad day for me as a Packers fan, a dedicated and passionate Green Bay Packers fan. This day has been coming for months now, but it's officially official Aaron Rodgers has been traded from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets for a lot of picks, and I think the Packers, they took their time. They got a lot for him, but it is a sad day to see my quarterback go. And look, is Jordan Love the answer at quarterback for the Green Bay Packers? I have no idea. (laughs) I'll be really honest. I have no idea, but Aaron Rodgers leaves a legacy in Green Bay. He brought a Super Bowl to the Packers in my lifetime Should have had more, in my opinion. Should have had more Super Bowls to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Uh, There's a lot of reasons for that, and we won't get into that right now. But it is official. Aaron Rodgers has been traded to the New York Jets, and so uh, so long to uh, who has been my favorite quarterback in the league for a long, long time. And now it's time to see who takes over for him in Green Bay. Hey, I appreciate you all tuning in on this Monday edition of On the Line. I'm Jacob Goins. Carter Bird, my co-host, will be back in studio, so he tells me, tomorrow. So We'll see if that happens or not. But until then, stay safe, and I'll talk to you later.